0: Well, if you have your Bibles, guys, let's turn to Second Peter, and let's continue to uh, walk through this book together. We started last week uh, looking at how we respond to the, to the great things that God has laid out uh, at the start of Second Peter, uh, all these really great blessings, and, and just as a re- 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 way of reminder that God has given us faith, you know, just by, by sheer gift, that he's, he's gifted us. All of the things of life and godliness. He's called us to his own glory and excellence. He's given us his precious and very great promises. And he's, he's rescued us from the, this corrupt world with its sinful desires. All those things. So when you, you, you're recognizing that and you've seen those, sort of, you'll, you'll never look at that and say, you know, hey, is that all he did? Is that it? Right? So you're going to look at that and go, that's really awesome. That's really great. Now, what am I supposed to do in response to that? What do, if God has done all these great things for me, what is expected from me? Because that's a, that's a mind-blowing amount of grace. Like even just listing those things, right? Like when you start listing about, he's given you faith. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's called you to his glory and excellence. He's given you these promises. He's rescued you. You start laying those things out. God's done some pretty amazing stuff for us. Some awesome, it's, it's why when we sing amazing grace, no one ever goes, I don't know if it's amazing. Uh, we all go, yes, it is amazing grace of God. So how do we, how are we supposed to respond to this great uh, grace of God? And in fact, it's it's recognizing this that allows Peter to say that through this knowledge of what God has done, grace and peace are multiplied to you. I mean, you could really just read these first five verses of 2 Peter and probably your understanding of grace and peace would be multiplied. I mean, just looking at those things, just looking at what God's done in faith, just looking that he's given you everything you need for life and godliness, just walking through the, those gifts mentioned in those really just two, two sentences there uh, is probably enough for you to go, man, I understand my salvation more today than I did yesterday, that uh, it is deeper than I even, even recognize. So when Peter... Uh, goes into verse 5, what he's doing is talking about a response to that grace. That if God has done all these things, what sort of response comes from us to this great grace of God? Again, you're not, what's going to happen in 5 through 7 is not, okay, this is what you're supposed to do to earn that grace. So it's not like you get 5 and 7 and go, well, this is what you need to do to get this salvation or to get this faith. But this is how your heart will want to respond and should respond if God has done these things for you. So let's stand in the honor of uh, reading God's word. We'll read verses 3 through 7 so we can kind of uh, grasp all this. Oh, oh, I'm, I put in and took out and put in and put, took out verse 2. Uh, but 3 through 7 is a, is a pretty clear sort of structure here. Now let's read this and, and see how we're supposed to respond to uh, what God has done. His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would be moved by, for this very reason, Uh, that we would be moved by all that you've done for us and that we would be sitting here, people who are worshiping you and that worship is claiming that you are worth our time and our praise and everything that we're going to sing and all that our heart's going to desire and you are worth it for an infinite number of reasons. And part of that is because of what you've done for us. Uh, There is uh, just a reasonableness to being here. It's not astounding that we're here. Uh, Indeed, what else would we do? Where else would we be? Where else would we go? Because you have gifted us these things. You have done these things for us in, in every instance, despite of us. Uh, and so, Father, we thank you for your great grace and your mercy and the knowledge that you give us of this grace and mercy that just multiply that grace and peace to us as we know and learn more. So, Father, may we worship you today uh, in all that we do. Because of all that you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So so we saw last week, just sort of a a, a rehash of, of what we looked at, because these all kind of are are building on each other, and we'll see more again next week, because we're not going to get all the way through verse seven. We saw last week that that we are, and for this very reason, in light of these things, we're supposed to get to work speedily remember we saw that word make every effort built off the word that in where we get the word speed uh but the idea is do something with haste do something quickly that, that make every effort uh work hard to, to get it do it uh don't be lazy about it you know so, so work speedily to get all these things to do all these things. god's done all this for you don't just laze about right get get to work responding to that great grace of god yeah, I mean, for the reason of one, that grace is so awesome, and two, your life is so short. So if you're like, I'm going to wait, and then I'm going to start being godly, well, the only thing, you're supposed to be speedier because your life is also speedy. It's also quick. Uh, and so you don't have time to wait. And God doesn't God doesn't deserve you to wait. He's done an amazing amount for you uh, that we're to see that these are faith-driven tools, that these things are not, you know, you don't add, it's not that faith is missing, and so you have to add to faith, this virtue or this excellence, and that makes your faith better, these are things that are spurred out of the faith that God has given you. God has given you faith, and then faith is these things work together with faith. Remember that word to to add to these, add to faith, or to supplement your faith. That word supplement comes from the word, uh, where we get the word choreography, uh, which is, the Greek word is choreogeo, which is, uh, it just means get these things moving together, get them dancing together, singing the tune of faith. Faith is at work in you. So these are the things that should happen as faith is out, being outworked in your life. So if, if your faith is real, faith is going to be calling you to do these sorts of things. You don't do these things to earn faith. You do these things if faith is spurring in your heart. This is what faith will, will spur you to. And then last, we started going into the list of, of what is it that we should do to, to get dancing with faith or to supplement with faith. And the first thing we saw is virtue or excellence, that we are to uh, to excel as as believers. And I, and I like that word uh, excel uh, uh, better because who, who uses the word virtue? Uh, but it also that's the way it's translated. I think every other time in if you read in the ESV, I know it's every other time in the ESV. Uh, so you can see how this word is used. We saw it in 1 Peter 2, 9. We saw it just in the previous sentence, right? He's called us to his own glory and excellence. Same word. Uh, so again, just to help you see these words moving through Scripture, uh, it, it's good to sometimes get that, that, that reference. So that Christians, because of the precious and very, very great promises of God, that faith, we should desire to build a life of excellence, So because of faith, be excellent in your Christian life. And so last week we said, no more are we going to accept as Christians a, is this okay to do Uh, sort of mentality? Well, can I do this? Uh, That's not as Christians, that shouldn't be the driving thing in in all of our choices. Uh, We don't want to be an, is this okay, Christians? We want to be those who are pursuing excellence. And like we said last week, no one ever, ever has to ask permission to do an excellent thing. Uh, and so we want to be the type of people who are pursuing to excel in our Christian life. No low bar Christianity for you and I, because our salvation is not low bar. Our salvation is, is high bar salvation. Uh, and so we want to excel as believers. But it's not just excellence that he calls us to in those verses. There's, of course, this whole chain uh, of verses here, uh, although... If you're anything like me, just getting when you saw Excel and be excellent, that seemed like a pretty formidable task Uh, that you would be okay if he stopped the list right there, uh, because that felt like a lot to chew on. Uh, And as I was leading up to the to the sermon, I was like, man, that's that right there is just Excel as a believer is. I mean, that's just weighty. And you start looking at your life at all the things as Christians that we don't excel at, that we're not striving to excel. We're striving to just do, okay, what's the bare minimum that I need to talk to my kids about God? Uh, what's the bare minimum uh, that I need to do in terms of reading my Bible? How how much Bible do I have to have memorized? Uh, those sorts of things that we're like, okay, I think I meet that. Instead of like trying to blow the, a Christian life out of the water. Uh, and so uh, hopefully uh, just doing that one last week was... Enough to get you to sort of excel uh, this week because your God is excellent and this, your salvation is excellent. But I better get going because I'll just go back to that, that same word and we'll just, we'll just look at it again. Uh, but faith is supplemented with virtue and virtue, it says, or excellence is uh, supplemented with knowledge. Now, here's that important word. We said that knowledge is important here again. We see it. It's already been important in these opening verses. This is the third time that it's used in the first five verses. Now, in the Greek, it's used three times in three sentences. They're just three sentences to start this letter. And he's used the word knowledge in every one of these sentences to start the letter. Uh, So... What have we seen knowledge has done just so far, even in the previous sentences? Well, the first thing he showed us was that grace and peace are multiplied to us through knowledge. That's the first thing that we saw uh, down in what was verse 2. Then we saw that all the things of life and godliness uh, are gifted to us through knowledge. And here we see another thing. Now, now this is a, a, a different form of the word knowledge. And although for the most part, throughout Peter's letter here, I think it's not going to be that big of a difference. It, it has what we would call a, a different prefix to the word knowledge here. Uh, so, so normally, I don't think it's very significant. And here, I don't think it's super significant. Uh, but it does seem to be implying not a knowledge of a specific thing, but rather knowledge in general. That as as Christians... Peter seems to be saying we should desire to know as much as we can. That we need to be a people who want to be knowledgeable. So not that if you remember previously, it was a knowledge, what? A knowledge of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was grace and peace. uh, So that's grace and peace. And then all the things of life and godliness are given us through a knowledge of God and of Christ. But here it's just knowledge that as Christians, we should long to know as much as we should know. Christian, you should be a sponge of knowledge. You should be trying to soak in as much not to know as much as you can know about God. That we should be, uh, we should be pursuing all sorts of knowledge in our christian life we should long to know god we should long to know our bibles we should long to know wisdom that that christians should want to know and in fact the bible uh, over and over throughout the bible says christian know, pursue to know long to know as much as we can the, the, the christian faith is not a dumb blind faith right there's one of the one of the worst things that happen is people start talking about like when you start knowing things you become cold right or that cold sort of seminary or scholastic idea that with knowledge comes this sort of distance. No, biblically, with knowledge comes love for God. You can't love what you don't know. This is some weird hippie salvation that you've got. And you just sort of float around and get these feelings about God. Uh, what you feel about God? Well, you might get these feelings about God. But that's the devil uh, causing you to feel things if it, is not within, if it does not come from knowledge. Uh, so if you want to make sure that your feelings are right about God, you have to know who God is, what he has done, what he says. And so the Bible says Christian pursue to know. So all the way, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is what? What is the beginning of wisdom? Huh? most of you said what the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and that's one verse but look at what this verse says the beginning of wisdom is this what get wisdom get wisdom and whatever you get get insight so the bible says look you want to be wise you know how to be wise get wisdom be wise Whatever you get, get insight. Pursue these things. Because Peter would say, make haste to speedily seek to know as much as you can know. Soak it in. Because you're never going to... This, this is a false idea that you're going to read and soak and know and it's going to make your faith stale is untrue. Now, is there a temptation that you might read and know and your faith becomes stale? yes. But if you don't read and know, your faith is going to be stale anyway. So read and know. And in that reading and knowledge, recognize there might be a temptation of those things to to love knowledge rather than the God to whom the knowledge is about whom the knowledge is. So, of course, there's that temptation to just make it be about, well, I read a bunch of books and I've read the Bible this many times and your relationship with God isn't any better. But the Bible never the Bible says, "Look, you should pursue to know. If you, if you don't know, if you don't have wisdom, it is not because of God. If you don't have knowledge, it is not because of God. If knowledge, if knowing God's will, knowing what is good and what is excellent, if, if it's just you just don't know these things, if that's one of your problems, that doesn't come from God. That comes from you. So if you're bad on the Christian life is, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, find out what you're supposed to do. God's told you. He's told you everything you're supposed to do. So find out about it. And if you're like, why well, don't I have time to read through my whole Bible? Well, good. You've got pastors, right? Go and ask them. Like, and you know what they're going to tell you? Okay, this is what you should be doing. And you know what else you should be doing? Seeking to know. getting the word. We're not going to hide it from you. We're not going to go, well, maybe you should read a, uh, Philippians just read there for a little bit and then come back and tell me what you find out. Uh, We're going to tell you. So Lord has equipped you with things. If you, if you feel inadequate at times, but if you just never know, it's probably because you're not soaking in knowledge. You're not reading. You're not learning. You're not, you're not growing to know. And that does not come from God. In fact, the Bible says that wisdom and knowledge this insight. It can be yours. In fact, it, it should be yours. Now, it's important to understand that wisdom and being smart are not the same thing, okay? So we're not, you might say, well, I'm, I'm just not smart, and that might be right. You might not be smart. You might not be able to sit down and calculate the hypotenuse of a, you know, an obtuse whatever, you know, or work out the area of a curve. Maybe you, maybe you just skim through calculus. But we've equated somehow the ability to do well on school tests with wisdom. And what we've caused people to do is if they didn't do good at school, they think, well, I can't know the Bible. I can't, I can't. So they they don't read their Bibles because they started reading it and they didn't understand it. So they thought that had something to do with smarts. Instead of realizing that reading the Bible, you're going to grow in your maturity. And the more you read it and the more you grow, the more it's going to make sense. Unlike math, right? Unlike the subject you struggled with and you could read and read and read and you're going to be just as plastered uh, from the third time you read it as you were the first time. The Bible's not like that. In fact, the Bible says God specifically addresses this concern and we read it in Psalm 19, didn't we? Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the the Lord is sure. What? Making wise. The simple. There is a simpleton who knows God's word, is a wise man. Someone who may not be able to do figurines, or may not be able to do things that other people, you know, they may not be able to calculate the trajectory of the stars in the sky and launch a rocket so that it runs into them. But they can be wise. There are a lot of people who can do that first thing that are fools. Who can launch a rocket to the skies, to the stars, but can't tell you who made the stars. Wisdom and knowledge are available to us if we pursue it. The Bible says it. So if we don't have it, it's because we're not pursuing it. So Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 6. I want you to look at how wisdom is not hiding here. In our lives wisdom for you to be a wise person it is not a hidden treasure God does not lay out you know someone in the field and under a rock they found a treasure and you think that you're going to go out and God's going to have a field of rocks now you're not going to know which rock to look under to find the treasure Wisdom is going to cry out to us. So Proverbs chapter two, verses one through six, my word, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, So you're wanting these things. You are listening for wisdom. You're inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, which we saw back in Proverbs 4, 7, whatever you get, get insight. You go, well, how do I get insight? He says, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Make your ear attentive. Incline your heart to it. Cry out for it. Call out. Again, this is not a passive pursuit of knowing. Your heart has to want these things. If you just Stalely open your Bible and I'll just, I'll just read I guess and then you wonder why you're not getting anything why you don't feel more knowledgeable but if your heart is wanting knowledge and crying out or if you have prayed before you read your Bible God help me to understand God help me to know God says if you do those things the Lord will answer that prayer A prayer that is always answered for the believer is the prayer, God, make me wise. God, help me to understand what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to live. Now, if you think understanding, you're just going to go and understand the, you know, the the, the difficult passages of scripture and that's all you want to know. But if you want to get into God's word and know what it's talking about, know your God you're not just trying to solve some weird desire to have all the trivia answers that people have. But if your desire is to know the Lord, God says he answers that desire for knowledge and wisdom and insight. In fact, like I said, wisdom is, is actually crying out for you. So if you seek it like silver, if you, if you, if you look for it like, like, like treasure, look at what you're going to find. Proverbs chapter one, verse 20 and 23. Wisdom is, Cries aloud in the street. This is is going to talk about how foolish it is that we don't have wisdom. Wisdom is standing in the street crying out. It's not even wisdom is hidden in your Bible. And if you open it, it will speak to you. Right? It's wisdom is it's crying out in the streets, in the markets. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gate. She speaks. In other words, anywhere that you would have to be to be anywhere. Market, she's there. Streets, she's there. Gates of the city, she's there. And all these places crying out, how long, oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? And that's the reality. If you don't know, if you are not knowledgeable in the things of God, one thing you may have to, you may have to work with yourself or realize is it might be that you just love being simple. Because knowledge is there. It's not hidden. It's crying out. Streets, market, city gate, it's there for you to have. So if, you like, if you've been a Christian for however long and you don't know much more than you knew when you first became a Christian, now if you just became a Christian and you're like, I, don't, I still feel like a baby, that's because you are a baby. But if you've been a Christian for four years and five years and ten years and your Christian faith, you're just still like a toddler in terms of what you know then maybe it's because your heart has loved being simple more than it's loved the knowledge of God. You've loved not knowing because if you don't know, you don't feel bad for not doing it. So how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge if you turn at my reproof? Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And this is exactly what Jesus says the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us all things and causes us to remember them, right? Proverbs chapter 8, same thing. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way at the crossroads. She takes her stand. So again, above the city, she's crying out so that you can't say, well, I didn't see her. I didn't know. I mean, I was down in the market. Where was she at? She's at the heights where you see this woman standing above the city crying out, which would would normally be what we would call a spectacle. Right. Not not hidden. At the crossroads, she takes her stand. You're like, well, I didn't pass her. It's like she stood at the crossroads where the roads meet. So if you went anywhere, you had to go past her. Beside the gates in the front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. The Bible says if you want wisdom, what should you do? You want wisdom, ask for it. We, we saw that back in Proverbs chapter two. Seek it, raise your voice for it, cry out for it. James says the same thing. James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So again, if wisdom is not yours, if knowledge and understanding are not yours, if, if you don't feel like you know it might be because you haven't asked or it is because you haven't asked. Because if you ask, God promises he will give it. If you seek it, it will be yours. It, wisdom is not hidden. God wants us to speedily add knowledge. In fact, the Bible warns about being speedy in your Christian faith without knowledge can be dangerous, right? That there is a, there is a danger in zeal without knowledge, but in our world, zeal without knowledge is praised, right? So we have churches that are all about zeal, but not about knowledge. So get excited. Church needs to be a place where you're excited. And so let's play the nation's top 40. Uh, and everyone will get excited and will and then, and then the sermon will be five minutes and the actual text will be five seconds. Uh, and, and there's all this zeal. There's no knowledge, and you can see how dangerous it is in our world. In the Christian world, zeal without knowledge creates things that are easily torn down with a little knowledge. Prosperity gospel can be torn down by Scripture. There's no leg to stand on the prosperity gospel when you get in the text, which is why prosperity gospel preachers don't get in the text. That's the worst thing that could happen is them to get you to start reading your Bibles because you're going to read your Bible and go, wait now wait, now wait, now what you said and then what this said. Same thing, you've got churches that that talk about everyone feeling good and lovey and everything's great and we're all just going to heaven and let's just sing a chorus till we get there. And I'm fine and you're fine and everybody's fine and there's there's nothing to worry about. And And wisdom says what? Listen to my reproof. And we're like, what reproof? We're just singing a ditty together and then we'll go home. And and people are foolishly, foolishly following that. And there's a danger there, Romans 10, 2, for I bear witness, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. There's a danger there to have a zeal to burn for the Lord, but not to have knowledge with it. And think about the wisdom. And knowledge. Where do I get this wisdom and knowledge? What do I do? I go and I pray. And is God going to give me some sort of insight and understanding? Well, yes. Yes, he will. But you know how he does that? He doesn't give you some secret word. He doesn't tell you some new thing. He, he doesn't, you know, say, hey, this is, what, this is what I've got for you. You know what he does? He teaches you the things of scripture. So you go and you see 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17. Where's this knowledge going to come from? Do I need to sit in my sit in my you know prayer room or prayer spot with a pen and write down what he tells me? Well, that, that might be good. You should write down your convictions because we're very apt to forget them. <laughs> it's very easy when we pray and God says, yeah, you need to stop doing that for us to go, thank you. Uh, and then go later on and they go, what was that I was supposed to stop doing? And then find out, oh, it's the thing I'm doing right now. I should stop doing that. But... Our knowledge, our wisdom, it all increases as we know God's word. So, but as for you, he says, this is Paul talking to Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood. So I want you to see how scripture is going to be the answer to his maturity from the beginning to the end. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, listen, parents, I want your, I want someone to be able to write a letter to your kids that says that. I want someone to be able to write to your children one day and say, just remember how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Remember how you've known God's word since you were a child? How, how it was taught to you by your mother and grandmother? You remember that? Keep remembering those things. It's too many times as, as pastors, we have to get people into God's word who've grown up without God's word and their lives are the result of not knowing what they should have known from when they were children. Because their parents didn't acquaint them with scripture. They acquainted them with church. They acquainted them with, with, with you know, certain responsibilities and things they do or don't do, but they didn't acquaint them with God's word. So, so parents, let that be a goal for you. that you're, Someone could say to your kids, hey, you've known this since you were a kid. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So look, from the very beginning, Scripture is what has acquainted him uh, or has, has made known to him, made him wise, right? For what? So what made what first made Timothy wise? Scripture. And what did it make him wise for? Salvation. But is that the end? No, Scripture is what made him wise for everything that follows after salvation. So anything you need to know and you go, well, what should I be doing? The Bible is going to tell you exactly what you need to do in every situation. Everything you need to do. No, what does it say there at the end? The man of God, and that includes woman of God, right? May be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything you might need to do, the Bible is going to equip you to be able to do it right. To be able to, as we saw last week, to excel. But if you don't know God's word, then you can't know every good word. So of course you don't know. If you're not spending time in God's word and we're just wanting to sort of be led by this amorphous spiritual feeling, well, of course we don't know. Because knowledge comes from the word. And if you're not spending time in God's word and you're starving in your Christian life and you're feeding on anything, anything and the world gives you something to eat and you eat it. And you eat this and eat that because you're looking for, for anything. Not realizing that man doesn't live on bread, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in your Christian life, you don't know because you haven't been eating. You haven't been looking and you're frustrated and you say, well, I just don't know. I just don't know. I just don't know. Start getting in God's word and know. He will teach you. And you don't have to be frustrated. You don't have to be like, oh, you know, like this is a, I still, we talked about it last week uh, on Wednesday night when Zach said, we're going to have a quiz coming up. That's a plug for Wednesday night, isn't it? Uh, Come on Wednesday night. There are quizzes. Uh, But we talked about how I still have nightmares about having tests still as an almost 40 year old man. I will have nightmares where I have forgotten a test that is going to take place or I have forgotten that I have a class that I haven't attended all semester uh and as as christians what we need to realize when we when we're like the reason we don't know the there's not some weird test that's coming up what it is is the knowledge of god can be clearly found in god's word god's you're not going to open the word and go uh i don't know i just don't know and god say ha he didn't know nah too bad it's in the opening of the word that god through his spirit begins to teach you these things Begins to grow you. And it's not going to happen apart from that. In fact, if it happened apart from that, it would be bad for you. Because you would think that God grows my knowledge by me just sitting here and thinking about God. And so you know what you're going to do all day? Sit and think about God. No reason to open your Bibles, right? Because you can just sit and God's just going to teach you about him. But if he teaches you through his word, you know what you're going to want more of? His word. But you're not ever going to want more of his word and you're not ever going to know God like that if you don't get in the word to begin with. So that's why wisdom cries out. And God says, yeah, you want wisdom, ask for it and then get in the word and I'll give it to you. Everything that you need. There is a sense in which because of the Holy Spirit in us, we already know all that we need to know that we're just building on top of a foundation, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, he says, but you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. 1 John 2, 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, that verse isn't saying that you don't need pastors to teach you things in the Bible, and you just go home and... You know, hey, I'll just go home. I don't need, I don't need anybody else. But what it is saying is you're not lacking in anything that you need to know. There's nothing lacking in you. God has given, it's very similar to what Peter said when it says that God's given us all the things that pertain to life and godliness. There's, God has not given you an incomplete knowledge. That knowledge just needs to grow and mature. Remember, we saw that the word perfect doesn't, doesn't mean our sense of the word perfect, but comes from the word that means Mature. And that's why we read Paul talk about this, that he is not perfect. He's not saying that he's not sinless. What he's saying is not that I've reached maturity yet. Not that I'm where I need to be. But in maturity, you don't go from being like, let's say you're growing, let's say uh, uh, an, an oak tree. You don't go from, you know, being a flower to being a piece of wheat to being an oak tree. What do you become? You start out as an acorn. An oak tree in seed form. And then you become a sap. I mean, you just grow through these processes, but you're an oak tree the whole time. You know what you need to know. As Peter's going to point out, this is all about remember what you know. God's going to grow this knowledge in you. The basics of that knowledge are there. The foundation of the gospel. You're not going to learn anything new. Anything that's going to shock you or is going to be totally different. These are all going to be built on that foundation of the gospel of Christ. It will all fit in. It is just a flowering, a maturing of what you know. And again, that fits with what Peter says. And so the Bible says it is foolish. It's foolish to not pursue knowledge, to not run speedily toward knowledge. Because knowledge brings not just knowledge of God, it brings blessings to your life. Proverbs 22, 17 and 18, again, was inclining our ears. He says, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. Knowledge is a blessing. And as Christians, we should be soaking up to know as much about God as we can know. So we've got excellence and we've got knowledge. What's next? He says, and add to knowledge self-control. Now, Peter has talked about self-control before. If you remember uh, remember back, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. But if you remember when we talked about that, as I'm sure you do, uh, all the way when we talked about 1 Peter chapter 4, that I don't think that's a great translation. I don't think it's a good word for self-control there. Uh, that it's actually a combination of the word for saved and minded. Be saved-minded. Now here in 2 Peter, we actually get a different word for self-control that I think is more in more fitting with what we think of when we talk about be self-controlled. This word here is a combination of the words in and strength, like the idea of inner strength, which is normally what we think of with self-control. Use your inner strength to not do what you want to do, right? Don't do it. Control yourself. And, and we'll see that. When we tell our kids to be self-controlled, have self-control, what we mean is Don't flop around like a fish as if you cannot control your body, right? Control yourself. Use the strength that is in you. And we know now that as Christians, we can, because of the Holy Spirit, control ourselves. And and Christians will control themselves. This word is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and what? Or gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. One One of the evidences that you've been genuinely, truly saved, that you've been rescued from the works of the flesh, is that you have a strength within you. There used to be just dead you, no strength, No, certainly no strength to do a godly thing. Any strength was just strength to do evil and wickedness. And you're really good at doing that. So if the spirit is in you, the Bible says self-control will blossom in your life. Inner strength will blossom in you. It will not be strength from you, but it will be strength that you do have because you will have the spirit. Now, you, you also see this word used by Paul when he's talking to Titus about what elders, about what pastors, overseers, about what they must be. In Titus chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 it says, For an overseer as God's steward, now this is, this is, this is going to be important for us here. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Did you see it there? In that verse, no, you didn't. It's actually, the word, the word that we use for self-control is actually the word translated discipline. That word self-control there, different word. Sorry, ESV needs to pick it up. Uh, the word is actually the word disciplined. That word discipline there is the combination of the words in and strength. The same word that you see here in Second Peter. You can, like, this is where you have to do the, so it's this time self-control is this, but other times it's this, and you go, eh. Just ask the pastor. And that's the idea behind Paul's use of the word too. The, when Paul uses this word self-control in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25-27, through every athlete exercises self-control, inner strength in all things. So these athletes, say exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So, look, an an athlete will orient their entire lives. This is one of the—I love the Olympics, but the Olympics is, like, the saddest thing to me. Like, it is. They're like, we spent 20 years learning to do flips, and now we got a medal, and life has to happen now. Uh, But, you know, I— we're gonna, I guess I'll go be a gym coach, because uh, that's 20 years. Um, or I learned to ice skate, and now I live in Florida. Uh, so an athlete will orient their entire lives around these things, these sports, to earn a trophy, a medal. I am not athletic at all. My house is full of trophies, full of them. And you know what? No one cares about it. You know what? I don't even care about them. I look at them and go, My dad's like, What do you want to do with these? I'm like, Keeping them there is fine with me. I'm not taking them. You give them to me, they're going to go in the trash, or my kids might see them and say, Let's keep them forever. That'd be the worst thing that would happen, right? My kids just see them and go, Let's keep that. And you, so, so the athletes will train and go, Look, I got a And now, okay, I don't want to step on any toes. Now kids get rings. That just seems gratuitous. Uh, but they're like, all these kids are sporting like these Super Bowl rings. I'm like, man, I used to work for a trophy company. So I know how well they used to try to figure out to get people to buy the next expensive thing. Uh, so a little insider information. Uh, so they'll learn a sport. He says they'll train their lives. They have self-control and everything to get a perishable wreath. A perishable wreath. They'll learn a sport that they're at best for, at best good at for a handful of years. And then they're going to have to tell people about how good they were at something in high school. And we all know what we think about those people, right? That's a, it's a running joke. You see that on sitcoms. I mean, that was like married with children. Was that running joke, right? Uh, That this guy used to did one thing in football when he was in high school. And it all perishes. They'll spend hours and hours and hours. They'll give their lives up to train for something that will perish and that they won't even care about in a few years. As Christians, he says, we've got a greater purpose, a greater calling, and yet somehow we have less discipline than athletes. We have less self-control. These people can control themselves in everything in their life. They can watch what they eat. They can watch what they do. They can control everything to make sure they're good at something that is going to perish and pass away. And you know what? Only one of them is going to get the wreath. Only one of them is going to get. They'll train and train and train, knowing they're probably not going to get a college scholarship. They'll train and train and train, knowing, yeah, they're not going to go pro because they're not six foot eight. Right? Just not going to happen. And yet they'll train and train for these things. He says for something that perishes. And we as Christians who have a crown that is imperishable. And we can't get ourselves to be self-controlled for that. And I think about how disciplined I used to be for sports. Even when I wasn't athletic. And I would discipline myself. And I would practice. And I would practice. And I'd read books. And I'd practice and practice. And I, I didn't even get the wreath. He says, how can, you know, how, how can somehow the Christian life be less than that? How can they be self-controlled? How can they be disciplined? And we be disciplined about that, but not disciplined about this. So that's our next thing. A Christian should be a disciplined person. Christians should be a disciplined people. A people who operate with control of themselves over every area of their life. Paul says if an athlete can be self-controlled in all things, then a Christian surely should. And so if, if you can, if, if we're willing to spend time to focus on all these other pursuits, let's say you're not an athlete, let's say you're a musician, and you will go home and you will practice and practice and practice and practice and practice and practice to get right, to be able to go, and you're like, woo, nailed it. But you do not have that same discipline to control yourself in the pursuit of God. There's something wrong there. If you will go home and you will work on the things for your job and you will make sure you nail them down, you know everything you need to know about your work and you're good at it. But you will not go home and discipline every hour of every day for the pursuit of God. There's something wrong there. There's something wrong. As a Christian, it's not that those things are wrong to do. This isn't Paul talking about how athletes are of the devil. This is Paul talking about, it's ridiculous that athletes are better at this than us when the things they're working hard for pass away. And ours don't. You will never work. You'll never discipline your life for the Lord's glory and be disappointed in the end. Doesn't happen. So the only reason you wouldn't be disciplined is you don't think the wreath is coming. That you don't think the reward, the joy, the happiness is coming. Because if you're willing to work hard for something that you know goes bad. How much more should you be willing to work hard for something that you know will never go away? You're never going to get a bad back in godliness. Right? You're never going to find out that in godliness your knees just can't take it anymore. And so you trained and trained and trained in football. We, I mean, there was a guy at OU who had to retire as a as a as a junior because of too many concussions. His head couldn't take it. And there are people who walk around like this because their knees couldn't take it. You will never, have a, as a Christian, run into a situation like that. So why would you not discipline yourself in pursuit of that? As Christians, we should be disciplined. We don't... We, Again, this goes back to this hippie idea of Christianity. I'm not just against the hippies. It feels like that today. But we don't just wander around in our Christian life to steal from Paul. We're not just aimless. Christian life is not just aimless. We're not just throwing punches at the air and seeing what sanctification sort of sticks. Our lives have a purpose And we are to discipline ourselves to live out that purpose. The problem with being undisciplined is it either shows you don't care or it shows you don't believe. If your Christian life is an undisciplined Christian life and you just do things when you want to do them and you don't do things when you don't want to do them. If your Christian life is undisciplined, you're just kind of going here and then over to here and you do this for a little bit, then you do that for a little bit. There's no direction. There's no discipline. You're not taking, you're not using your inner strength to discipline everything and self-control. Either you don't care enough to do what you know you should be doing or you don't believe enough for it to be important. Neither of those should be acceptable to you as a Christian. Why am I not disciplined in my Christian life? is it because i don't care oh it is we well, shouldn't go Huh? well i guess i just don't care why am i not disciplined is it because i don't believe is it because i don't believe in the imperishable wreath that he promises is coming is it because i don't believe this will really make me happy oh it is because if you believe that you'd do it oh huh if it's any of those things then believe care be disciplined Ask yourself, are you a disciplined Christian? Look at your Christian life. Are you disciplined in your Christian life? Someone who is using the strength that God has given them. Or do you uh, come to church sometimes? I mean, you wish you came more, but you just don't. Why? I don't know. I just don't. I just don't have it in me, I guess. You know you need to. The other Bible says we should not forsake the assembly together as a practice', of so yeah I mean, I wish I came more I just can 't seem to get myself to do it. ha do you read your Bible sometimes? Yeah, I mean, I wish I read it more, but I just can't seem to make myself. do you want to train your kids in the right thing? Golly, I really need to start training my kids up in the Lord, but you know what I just don't. <laughs> I just can't seem to get myself to do it. You know what you are? You're unruly. You're undisciplined. Because you have the strength to do those things. You're not disciplining yourself to do them. So change that. Work from the strength that is yours by the grace of God. God has given you all that you need to do that godliness you know you need to do. So discipline yourself and do it. Don't be someone who has all this strength that the Holy Spirit has given them and you just kind of laze about. Use it. He's given it to you for a reason. So be, I mean, be a hard worker. Some men, we take pride in our hard work, our strong work ethic. But you're lazy when it comes to spiritual things. That if someone took your spiritual work ethic and applied it to your job, you'd probably want them fired. If someone worked as hard at your job as you work at your spiritual life, you think, what a worthless, I mean, stealing a paycheck. So do, and 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 being disciplined, discipline means doing hard things. If it were easy, it wouldn't take strength. it would say, just go with the flow, man. So do hard things. Look, you work hard in your Christian life. But you don't know how to talk to other Christians about God. So you just kind of don't do that. You know, you should uh, uh, exhort one another as long as it's called today that no one may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But you just don't exhort anybody. You don't ever talk to anybody about God. Why? Because it's hard to do. You're just not that type of a person. But the Bible says you should do it. I know. And the Bible says he's given you strength to do every godly thing, right? Yeah, but that would be hard to do. So use your strength. Use the strength that God has given you. Yeah, it's not because it's, not it's easy. Use the strength that is in you because of the grace of God. Some of us are, are, are hard workers and we're hard workers at the things we like and the things we're good at. I mean, as parents, so as, this is, as parents, we, we, we don't know how to deal with our kids. So we hand them over to, to our wife, maybe. And go, she's got to be good at this because women and kids go together. So we just hand the raising of our children over to our wives. And we let them raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Well, except for the uh, five minutes at the dinner table or right before bed. Then by golly, we really raise them up in that few minutes. We listen to podcasts. We read books about theology, all of that. We've labored to grow in that. But we're not comfortable talking to our coworkers about salvation because that's hard. Listen, to, to have inner strength is going to be doing the things that are hard. You've got to, you, being disciplined is doing hard things with the strength that is yours through Christ. So don't just be disciplined in the things you're already good at. That doesn't take discipline. It doesn't take discipline to, like, it doesn't take discipline to be, to be good at what you're already good at. Discipline is when you have to force yourself to do something that is hard to do. Something that you can only do by the strength that God has given you. Good news, God has given you the strength. I think it's funny. I think if when you look at our Christian lives, I think if and the idea of being disciplined, think about if your Christian life was a teenager. If your Christian life was a teenager, you'd probably say their parents need to whip them. Right? Right? It's your spiritual life is the equivalent of someone who can't hold down a job for more than a month. That's how undisciplined our Christian lives tend to be. And it's funny, if, if you took our spiritual life and how undisciplined we are in our spiritual life and you put it into a teenager, we would say, there's something wrong with that kid. Someone, I mean, someone, this is what's wrong with society, right? That Kids like that. I wonder what their parents are doing with any Or again, if there was someone like that, we'd say that's that's what's wrong. But that's us. We are undisciplined like that in our Christian lives. We'd be ashamed to be a person like that. But we're being something like that. We're being like that in something far more important. So God says, get self-controlled, get disciplined, pursue it, pursue to be a disciplined believer. Because he's given you all the tools for it. Now live the life worthy of that calling and grace and strength that he has given you. Uh, And we will stop there. Uh, And we'll look at uh, steadfastness um, and godliness and brotherly affections and love next week. Uh, Let's go ahead and end with those things. Let's bow our heads and let's think about what we've seen God call us to today. And may we search our lives and see if we are hastily pursuing these things. So let me just ask you, as you're praying and asking the Lord these things, remember he says, cry out for these. So, so cry out to God for wisdom, cry out, ask God, God, make me wise. Are you someone who is pursuing knowledge, pursuing to know? Maybe you're someone who's frustrated that you don't know. Well, start pursuing knowledge, ask God, God, make me wise knowing that he promises he will. Ask ask him to give you a heart, because remember it says that, that, that we turn our ears and we incline our hearts toward these things. Making our ears attentive, inclining our hearts to them. So ask God to do that. Maybe you need to say, God, give me an ear for wisdom where I want to know. God, give me a heart that desires to know. God, make me a sponge. Just make me soak in as much as I can. What about self-control? Ask, ask God, God, am I, am I disciplined with my life? Or am I, an, am I an unruly Christian? Undisciplined. You know what? Even as we pray that, the good work of the Spirit is we probably know the answer to that. Because we know the areas where we're undisciplined already. Because even when we started talking about these things, we thought of those areas. So just pray. Say, God, you've given me the strength. So God, help me to obey. Show me that I can, through you, do these things. That the Christian must be self-controlled. They will be. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So God, make me disciplined. father none of these things would be possible without your work in our lives and so we want to come and we want to start out by just praising you and thanking you because all of this goes back to what you've granted to us what you've gifted to us and so god we know that all of this work is begun by you and continued by you and that even when you tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling we know it's because it's you who gives us the will and to work For your good pleasure. you tell us in Philippians? That God, you who began a good work in us, you'll be the one to bring it on to completion. We know all those things, but part of that work is that you have equipped us to use the strength that you've given us for your glory. That Father, you have given us the ability to, to grow in our knowledge of God. And you've given us the thing in your word that equips us for every good work. So, God, may we pursue these things. May we make every effort to get these things in our lives. Knowing that these things, they do not pass away. They bring blessing and glory and honor and joy. And truly, we'd be fools to not pursue them. So let us today, Father, let us not be lazy fools. Let us in self-control be disciplined believers who pursue to know you more. And oh, the joy that will come when you teach us, when you guide us, when you lead us, and when you grow us. To look more like you, more like your son more like image bearers that we're supposed to be. Thank you, Father, for these promises that you give, even in the calls to go and do. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.